chapter twenty five part one of pierre or the ambiguities by herman melville this librivox recording is in the public domain lucy isabel and pierre pierre and his book and chiladas chapter one a day or two after the arrival of lucy when she had quite recovered from any possible ill effects of recent events events conveying such a shock to both pierre and isabel though to each in a quite different way but not apparently at least moving lucy so intensely as they were all three sitting at coffee lucy expressed her intention to practise her crayon art professionally it would be so pleasant an employment for her besides contributing to their common fund pierre well knew her expertness in catching likenesses and judiciously and truthfully beautifying them not by altering the features so much as by steeping them in a beautifying atmosphere for even so said lucy thrown into the lagoon and there beheld as i have heard the roughest stones without transformation put on the softest aspects if pierre would only take a little trouble to bring sitters to her room she doubted not a fine harvest of heads might easily be secured certainly among the numerous inmates of the old church pierre must know many who would have no objections to being sketched moreover though as yet she had had small opportunity to, to see them yet among such a remarkable company of poets philosophers and mystics of all sorts there must be some striking heads in conclusion she expressed her satisfaction at the chamber prepared for her inasmuch as having been formerly the studio of an artist one window had been considerably elevated while by a singular arrangement of the interior shutters the light could in any direction be thrown about at will already pierre had anticipated something of this sort the first sight of the easel having suggested it to him his reply was therefore not wholly unconsidered he said that so far as she herself was concerned the systematic practice of her art at present would certainly be a great advantage in supplying her with a very delightful occupation but since she could hardly hope for any patronage from her mother's fashionable and wealthy associates indeed as such a thing must be very far from her own desires and as it was only from the apostles she could for some time to come at least reasonably anticipate sitters and as those apostles were almost universally a very forlorn and penniless set though in truth there were some wonderfully rich-looking heads among them therefore lucy must not look for much immediate pecuniary emolument ere long she might indeed do something very handsome but at the outset it was well to be moderate in her expectations this admonishment came modifiedly from that certain stoic dogged mood of pierre born of his recent life which taught him never to expect any good from anything but always to anticipate ill however not in unreadiness to meet the contrary and then if good came so much the better he added that he would that very morning go among the rooms and corridors of the apostles familiarly 
announcing that his cousin a lady artist in crayons occupied a room adjoining his where she would be very happy to receive any sitters and now lucy what shall be the terms that is a very important point thou knowest i suppose pierre they must be very low said lucy looking at him meditatively very low lucy very low indeed well ten dollars then ten banks of england lucy exclaimed pierre why lucy that were almost a quarter's income for some of the apostles four dollars pierre i will tell thee now lucy but first how long does it take to complete one portrait two sittings and two mornings work by myself pierre and let me see what are thy materials they are not very costly i believe tis not like cutting glass thy tools must not be pointed with diamonds lucy see pierre said lucy holding out her little palm see this handful of charcoal a bit of bread a crayon or two and a square of paper that is all well then thou shalt charge one seventy-five for a portrait only one seventy-five pierre i am half afraid now we have set it far too high lucy thou must not be extravagant look if thy terms were ten dollars and thou didst crayon on trust then thou wouldst have plenty of sitters but small returns but if thou puttest thy terms right down and also sayest thou must have thy cash right down too don't start so at that cash then not so many sitters to be sure but more returns thou understandest it shall be just as thou sayest pierre well then i will write a card for thee stating thy terms and put it up conspicuously in thy room so that every apostle may know what he has to expect thank thee thank thee cousin pierre said lucy rising i rejoice at thy pleasant and not entirely unhopeful view of my poor little plan but i must be doing something i must be earning money see i have eaten ever so much bread this morning but have not earned one penny with a humorous sadness pierre measured the large remainder of the one only piece she had touched and then would have spoken banteringly to her but she had slid away into her own room he was presently roused from the strange reverie into which the conclusion of this scene had thrown him by the touch of isabel's hand upon his knee and her large expressive glance upon his face during all the foregoing colloquy she had remained entirely silent but an unoccupied observer would perhaps have noticed that some new and very strong emotions were restrainedly stirring within her pierre she said intently bending over toward him well well isabel stammeringly replied pierre while a mysterious colour suffused itself over his whole face neck and brow and involuntarily he started a little back from her self-proffering form arrested by this movement isabel eyed him fixedly then slowly rose and with immense mournful stateliness drew herself up and said if thy sister can ever come to nigh to thee pierre tell thy sister so beforehand for the september sun draws not up the valley vapour more jealously from the disdainful earth than my secret god shall draw me up from thee if ever i can come to nigh to thee 
thus speaking one hand was on her bosom as if resolutely feeling of something deadly there concealed but riveted by her general manner more than by her particular gesture pierre at the instant did not so particularly note the all-significant movement of the hand upon her bosom though afterward he recalled it and darkly and thoroughly comprehended its meaning too nigh to me isabel son or dew thou fertilizest me can sunbeams or drops of dew come too nigh the thing they warm and water then sit down by me isabel and sit close wine in within my ribs if so thou canst that my one frame may be the continent of two fine feathers make fine birds so i have heard said isabel most bitterly but do fine sayings always make fine deeds pierre thou didst but just now draw away from me when we would most dearly embrace we first throw back our arms isabel i but drew away to draw so much the closer to thee well all words are errant skirmishers deeds are the army's self be it as thou sayest i yet trust to thee pierre my breath waits thine what is it isabel i have been more blockish than a block i am mad to think of it more mad than her great sweetness should first remind me of mine own stupidity but she shall not get the start of me pierre some way i must work for thee see i will sell this hair have these teeth pulled out but some way i will earn money for thee pierre now eyed her startledly touches of a determinate meaning shown in her some hidden thing was deeply wounded in her an affectionate soothing syllable was on his tongue his arm was out when shifting his expression he whisperingly and alarmedly exclaimed hark she is coming be still but rising boldly isabel threw open the connecting door exclaiming half hysterically look lucy here is the strangest husband fearful of being caught speaking to his wife with an artist's little box before her whose rattling perhaps had startled pierre lucy was sitting midway in a room opposite the open door so that at that moment both pierre and isabel were plainly visible to her the singular tone of isabel's voice instantly caused her to look up intently at once a sudden irradiation of some subtle intelligence but whether welcome to her or otherwise could not be determined shot over her whole aspect she murmured some vague random reply and then bent low over her box saying she was very busy isabel closed the door and sat down again by pierre her countenance wore a mixed and writhing impatient look she seemed as one in whom the most powerful emotion of life is caught in inextricable toils of circumstances and while longing to disengage itself still knows that all struggles will prove worse than vain and so for the moment grows madly reckless and defiant of all obstacles pierre trembled as he gazed upon her but soon the mood passed from her her old sweet mournfulness returned again the clear unfathomableness was in her mystic eye pierre arna ere i ever knew thee i have done mad things which i have never been conscious of but in the dim recalling i hold such things no things of mine what i now remember as just now done was one of them thou hast done nothing but shown thy strength while i have shown my weakness isabel 
yes to the whole world thou art my wife to her too thou art my wife have i not told her so myself i was weaker than a kitten isabel and thou strong as those high things angelical from which utmost beauty takes not strength pierre once such syllables from thee were all refreshing and bedewing to me now though they drop as warmly and as fluidly from thee yet falling through another and an intercepting zone they freeze on the way and clatter on my heart like hail pierre thou didst not speak thus to her she is not isabel the girl gazed at him with a quick and piercing scrutiny then looked quite calm and spoke my guitar pierre thou knowest how complete a mistress i am of it now before thou gettest sitters for the portrait sketcher thou shalt get pupils for the music teacher wilt thou and she looked at him with a persuasiveness and touchingness which to pierre seemed more than mortal my poor poor isabel cried pierre thou art the mistress of the natural sweetness of the guitar not of its invented regulated artifices and these are all that the silly pupil will pay for learning and what thou hast cannot be taught ah thy sweet ignorance is all transporting to me my sweet my sweet dear divine girl and impulsively he caught her in his arms while the first fire of his feeling plainly glowed upon him but ere he had yet caught her to him isabel had backward glided close to the connecting door which at the instant of his embrace suddenly opened as by its own volition before the eyes of seated lucy pierre and isabel stood locked pierre's lips upon her cheek chapter two notwithstanding the maternal visit of mrs tartan and the peremptoriness with which it had been closed by her declared departure never to return and her vow to teach all lucy's relatives and friends and lucy's own brothers and her suitor to disown her and forget her yet pierre fancied that he knew too much in general of the human heart and too much in particular of the character of both glenn and frederick to remain entirely untouched by disquietude concerning what those two fiery youths might now be plotting against him as the imagined monster by whose infernal tricks lucy tartan was supposed to have been seduced from every earthly seemliness not happily but only so much the more gloomily did he augur from the fact that mrs tartan had come to lucy unattended and that glenn and frederick had let eight-and-forty hours and more go by without giving the slightest hostile or neutral sign at first he thought that bridling their impulsive fierceness they were resolved to take the slower but perhaps the surer method to wrest lucy back to them by instituting some legal process but this idea was repulsed by more than one consideration not only was frederick of that sort of temper peculiar to military men which would prompt him in so closely personal and intensely private and family a matter to scorn the hireling publicity of the law's lingering arm and impel him as by the furiousness of fire to be his own writer and avenger for in him it was perhaps quite as much the feeling of an outrageous family affront to himself through lucy as her own presumed separate wrong however black which stung him to the quick not only were these things so respecting frederick but concerning glenn pierre well knew that be glenn heartless as he might to do a deed of love glenn was not heartless to do a deed of hate that though on that memorable night of his arrival in the city 
glenn had heartlessly closed his door upon him yet now glenn might heartfully burst pierre's open if by that he had all believed that permanent success would crown the fray besides pierre knew this that so invincible is the natural untamable latent spirit of a courageous manliness in man that though now socially educated for thousands of years in an arbitrary homage to the law as the one only appointed redress for every injured person yet immemorially and universally among all gentlemen of spirit once to have uttered independent personal threats of personal vengeance against your foe and then after that to fall back slinking into a court and hire with sops a pack of yelping pettifoggers to fight the battle so valiantly proclaimed this on the surface is ever deemed very decorous and very prudent a most wise second thought but at bottom a miserably ignoble thing frederick was not the watery man for that glenn had more grapey blood in him moreover it seemed quite clear to pierre that only by making out lucy absolutely mad and striving to prove it by a thousand despicable little particulars could the law succeed in tearing her from the refuge she had voluntarily sought a course equally abhorrent to all the parties possibly to be concerned on either side what then would those two boiling bloods do perhaps they would patrol the streets and at the first glimpse of lonely lucy kidnap her home or if pierre were with her then smite him down by hook or crook fair play or foul and then away with lucy or if lucy systematically kept a room then fall on pierre in the most public way fell him and cover him from all decent recognition beneath heaps on heaps of hate and insult so that broken on the wheel of such dishonour pierre might feel himself unstrung and basely yield the prize not the gibbering of ghosts in any old haunted house no sulphurous and portentous sign at night beheld in heaven will so make the hair to stand as when a proud and honourable man is revolving in his soul the possibilities of some gross public and corporeal disgrace it is not fear it is a pride horror which is more terrible than any fear than by tremendous imagery the murderer's mark of cain is felt burning on the brow and the already acquitted knife blood rusts in the clutch of the anticipating hand certain that those two youths must be plotting something furious against him with the echoes of their scorning curses on the stairs still ringing in his ears curses whose swift responses from himself he at the time had had much ado to check thoroughly alive to the supernaturalism of that mad frothing hate which a spirited brother forks forth at the insulter of a sister's honour beyond doubt the most uncompromising of all the social passions known to man and not blind to the anomalous fact that if such a brother stab his foe at his own mother's table all people and all juries would bear him out accounting everything allowable to a noble soul made mad by a sweet sister's shame caused by a damned seducer imagining to himself his own feelings if he were actually in the position which frederick so vividly fancied to be his remembering that in love matters jealousy is as an adder and that the jealousy of glenn was double addered by the extraordinary malice of the apparent circumstances under which lucy had spurned glenn's arms and fled to his always successful and now married rival as if wantonly and shamelessly to nestle there remembering all these intense incitements of both those foes of his pierre could not but look forward to wild work very soon to come nor was the storm of passion in his soul unratified by the decision of his coolest possible hour storm and calm both said to him 
look to thyself o pierre murders are done by maniacs but the earnest thoughts of murder these are the collected desperadoes pierre was such fate or what you will had made him such but such he was and when these things now swam before him when he thought of all the ambiguities which hemmed him in the stony walls all round that he could not overleap the million aggravations of his most malicious lot the last lingering hope of happiness licked up from him as by flames of fire and his one only prospect a black bottomless gulf of guilt upon whose verge he imminently teetered every hour then the utmost hate of glen and frederick were jubilantly welcomed to him and murder done in the act of warding off their ignominious public blow seemed the one only congenial sequel to such a desperate career chapter three as a statue planted on a revolving pedestal shows now this limb now that now front now back now side continually changing to its general profile so does the pivoted statued soul of man when turned by the hand of truth lies only never vary look for no invariableness in pierre nor does any canting showman here stand by to announce his phases as he revolves catch his phases as your insight may another day passed on glen and frederick still absenting themselves and pierre and isabel and lucy all dwelling together the domestic presence of lucy had begun to produce a remarkable effect upon pierre sometimes to the covertly watchful eye of isabel he would seem to look upon lucy with an expression illy befitting their singular and so supposed merely cousinly relation and yet again with another expression still more unaccountable to her one of fear and awe not unmixed with impatience but his general detailed manner toward lucy was that of the most delicate and affectionate considerateness nothing more he was never alone with her though as before at times alone with isabel lucy seemed entirely undesirous of usurping any place about him manifested no slightest unwelcome curiosity as to pierre and no painful embarrassment as to isabel nevertheless more and more did she seem hour by hour to be somehow inexplicably sliding between them without touching them pierre felt that some strange heavenly influence was near him to keep him from some uttermost harm isabel was alive to some untraceable displacing agency though when all three were together the marvellous serenity and sweetness and utter unsuspectingness of lucy obviated anything like a common embarrassment yet if there was any embarrassment at all beneath the, that roof it was sometimes when pierre was alone with isabel after lucy would innocently quit them meantime pierre was still going on with his book every moment becoming still the more sensible of the intensely inauspicious circumstances of all sorts under which that labour was proceeding and as the now advancing and concentring enterprise demanded more and more compacted vigour from him he felt that he was having less and less to bring to it for not only was it the signal misery of pierre to be invisibly though but accidentally goaded in the hour of mental immaturity to the attempt of a mature work a circumstance sufficiently lamentable in itself but also in the hour of his clamorous pennilessness he was additionally goaded into an enterprise long and protracted in the execution and of all things least calculated for pecuniary profit in the end how these things were so whence they originated might be thoroughly and very beneficially explained but space and time here forbid 
at length domestic matters rent and bread had come to such a pass with him that whether or no the first pages must go to the printer and thus was added still another tribulation because the printed pages now dictated to the following manuscript and said to all subsequent thoughts and inventions of pierre thus and thus and so and so else an ill match therefore was his book already limited bound over and committed to imperfection even before it had come to any confirmed form or conclusion at all oh who shall reveal the horrors of poverty in authorship that is high while the silly millthorpe was railing against his delay of a few weeks and months how bitterly did unreplying pierre feel in his heart that to most of the great works of humanity their authors had given not weeks and months not years and years but their wholly surrendered and dedicated lives on either hand clung to by a girl who would have laid down her life for him pierre nevertheless in his deepest highest part was utterly without sympathy from anything divine human brute or vegetable one in a city of hundreds of thousands of human beings pierre was solitary as at the pole and the great woe of all was this that all these things were unsuspected without and undivulgeable from within the very daggers that stabbed him were joked at by imbecility ignorance blockheadedness self-complacency and the universal bleridness and besottedness around him now he began to feel that in him the thews of a titan were forestallingly cut by the scissors of fate he felt as a moose hamstrung all things that think or move or lie still seemed as created to mock and torment him he seemed gifted with loftiness merely that it might be dragged down to the mud still the profound wilfulness in him would not give up against the breaking heart and the bursting head against all the dismal lassitude and deathful faintness and sleeplessness and whirlingness and craziness still he like a demigod bore up his soul's ship foresaw the inevitable rocks but resolved to sail on and make a courageous wreck now he gave jeer for jeer and taunted the apes that gibed him with the soul of an atheist he wrote down the godliest things with the feeling of misery and death in him he created forms of gladness and life for the pangs in his heart he put down hoots on the paper and everything else he disguised under the so conveniently adjustable drapery of all stretchable philosophy for the more and the more that he wrote and the deeper and the deeper that he dived pierre saw the everlasting elusiveness of truth the universal lurking insincerity of even the greatest and purest written thoughts like knavish cards the leaves of all great books were covertly packed he was but packing one set the more and that a very poor jaded set and pack indeed so that there was nothing he more spurned than his own aspirations nothing he more abhorred than the loftiest part of himself the brightest success now seemed intolerable to him since he so plainly saw that the brightest success could not be the sole offspring of merit but of merit for the one thousandth part and nine hundred and ninety-nine combining and dovetailing accidents for the rest End of chapter twenty five part one